Welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Welcome to Hell Has an Entrance Part 4. Thanks everyone for listening. This is the final part of my personal story. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and tell me that they could relate to the story. A lot of people I grew up with are hitting me up saying like, you know, dude, I remember that or this brought back memories or super nostalgic. Um, If you have not listened to part one, two and three, I suggest that you go back and start listening there. Now, here's part four of my story. Hell has an entrance. And we get to this fucking shady ass hotel and it's like a days. It's not even a days in. it's. I don't, it's like some motel. And I get there. Jamaica is from Weston. He knows how old I am. So a lot of people when I was using don't know how old I am, but he knows people I grew up with. So he knew how young I was. When I go to the hotel room, I start walking by different hotel rooms. And like sometimes one of the doors are like peeped open and I walk by and I peep in and you see people shooting up on the bed. There's blood on the sheets. There's like, you know, junkies walking around and I get to his hotel room and I knock on the door and he's like peeping out the window. He's like, yo, what's up, doc? I'm like, nothing was going on. And he's like, yo, I'm looking for the pills, but hang on, I'm just trying to find them. Just like, wait here, bro. I think I dropped them or something. So he leaves me in the room and there's this lady there and she's holding a stem. And a stem is a crack pipe. And I'm just like, fuck. And I remember I was, I just... Like automatically money came out of my hand. It went into hers and I'm smoking. And he comes back and he was like, whoa. And he was like, damn dog, I didn't know you was like that. And I was like, yeah, bro. And he was like, he was just like, bro, Brian. And I was just like, yeah, man, I smoke crack. Like <laughs> big deal. And I remember he he couldn't believe it, bro. I remember he looked at me with that same face Carrie would look at me with like, bro, your life is fucked. That's the last time I ever seen him. And he was like, yo, it's Jamaica, man. And I remember I was like, yo, it's Jamaica? And I would give him a big hug. And I remember I was like, wow. And he told me, yo, I got locked up. I was fucking with that lady. And he's like, bro, I started smoking crack too. And I was like, like people act like that's surprising. Like no shit, you know? And he was smoking crack. And he's like, damn, dog, you got six months? And I was, like, pissed off. I was like, six months, bro? I got nine. Nine months clean. Nine months clean. It's totally different than six months, bro. I got nine. The yellow key tag, all right? He's like, damn, bro, you got nine months? And Anthony was like, yo, you know this kid? He's like, yeah, we know this kid. Bro, he's crazy. And he's like, no, I know for real he's crazy, bro. I seen him. And he's like, you used to use one? He's like, yeah, bro, this kid's off the chain. And uh, there was another kid, Pat, in there. And it was Pat, Jamaica, and Anthony. And uh, we all became cool. When uh, Jamaica got out of treatment, he was like, yo, will you sponsor me? And I was like, I don't know if I could sponsor you, bro. And he's like, bro, come on, dog. You got to sponsor me. So I called my sponsor. I was like, bro, I got my first sponsee. I think he wants me to sponsor him. What do you think about that? He goes, I think it'll be good for you. I was like, damn, I got a sponsee. So I go to pick him up, and I have a car now. 
as much shit as I have talked about, like my dad not loving me or whatever, my dad did buy me a car. Or he gave me like my mom's old car, which is basically the same thing. So I did have a car. And I remember I picked up Jamaica, Anthony, and Pat from this halfway. And I got nine months clean. I got my first sponsee. And Jamaica's like, yo, where you at? And I'm like, yo, I'm five minutes away. And then I started to realize, damn, dog, I'm five minutes away. So like Jamaica used to be my drug dealer. And if you've ever sold drugs or bought drugs, you know the infamous drug dealer, I'm five minutes away. And drug dealers are always five minutes away, and they're never five minutes away. So I remember texting him, like, going five minutes away. And I remember thinking, like, damn, the tables have turned. I am now coming through with the car to pick up somebody. And it was just so cool, man. Like, because to me, Jamaica was like a drug dealer, bro. Like, like, he was funny and cool. But, like, when I used to buy drugs off him, there was times where I'd be like, yo, bro, can I come through? And he was like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, all right, can you hook it up? hook it up i'm like yeah can you make sure like it's fat he's like why the fuck would i hook it up for you i remember being like okay damn bro don't hook it up then you know he was just like just stone cold drug dealer bro he wasn't really like funny or cool or trying to be my friend or nothing he just sold drugs you know and i remember um when i went to go pick him up he was like happy as fuck we were listening to music and i remember like me Pat, Anthony, Jamaica, driving out to the beach. We were blasting, like, Cameron and just, like, old school, like, you know, music or whatever. And um, when we got to the beach, Jamaica was like, dog, I just got to jail. You know, I'm fucking chilling. My man Pat's out here. My boy Anthony, my new sponsor, Brian. Oh, bro, we fucking going to fucking ball out. This is fucking gangster. And he's like, bro, this shit feels so fucking good to be clean. I'm digging this recovery shit. And we're like, yo, we're going to go eat. He's like, nah, fuck that, dog. I did a year in jail and just got a treatment. I'm not fucking leaving this spot. And we're like, yo, let's just go eat. We'll come right back. He's like, nah, just go. I'm staying on the beach. He's like, look at them hoes over there. Look at that girl over there, bro. There's bitches out here. Why the fuck I want to hang out with y'all dudes? And we were just laughing. So we left. And when we came back, Jamaica was taking pictures with all these girls. And these girls were all sitting next to him. And he was sitting on the ground with the sand. And he had put so much sand on his lap, he molded the sand to look like two balls and a big dick on his lap. And all these girls were laughing and taking pictures with him. And he's like, yo, bro, come sit on my big fat balls. And everyone was just laughing. And, like, it was so crazy to see him act that way because, like, to me, like, he was just, like, this, like, drug dealer, bro. He wasn't, like, funny like that. And he was just, like, having a good time. Bro, I sponsored Jamaica for like three, four weeks. And I remember I was in Miss Dean's class and um, Anthony called me. He's like, yo, where are you? And I was like, I'm in school. And he's like, school? And I was like, yeah, bro, I go to school. I'm in high school. And he's like, damn, bro, you're young as fuck. And he's like, bro, you need to step out of class. And I was like, what's up? He's like, step out of class. And I stepped out of class and I called him. And he's like, yo, it's Jamaica. I said, what's up? He's like, he died. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what do you mean he's dead? Like, there's got to be more to the story. Like, what do you mean he's dead? He said, bro, he shot up for the first time and he died. And he was just like, bro, I don't know. We went to go pick him up for NRD and he's dead, bro. The cops is out here. His mom's tripping. Like, what the fuck? And I was just like bro, how did he die? Like, I couldn't under, like, what do you mean he died? And I started crying. 
And like, bro, I called his good friend Rakash and I told Rakash and he couldn't believe it either. And I was just like, what the fuck, bro? And bro, I'm 17 years old. This is like the first kid I sponsored. I started to feel responsible. And I called the Mad Russian because I had been calling him for nine months every day. This is why we call. This is why we build the habit up. And I called the Mad Russian. He was like, yo, I'm at work. And I was like, I got to tell you something, bro. My fucking friend died. He's like, who died? I was like, Jamaica. He's like, who's Jamaica? I was like, bro, my sponsee, bro, the kid I've been sponsoring. He's like, you have a sponsee? I was like, bro, the kid I've been sponsoring, he died. And this guy started laughing. And I was getting so mad. I was like, why are you laughing? And he said, <laughs> he was laughing. He said, Brian, why are you surprised? I said, bro, he was just the kid. He started laughing again. I said, bro, why are you laughing? He said, Brian, that's what we do. I said, no, bro, you don't understand. He goes, that's what happens to us. We fucking die. When addicts use, we fucking die. Period. End of story. That's what happens every time. What happened? Tell me what happened. I don't know, bro. He shot up. He, oh, he shot up. He shot up drugs that we buy on the street that if any other normal person would even take, they would die. This shit isn't even prescribed to cancer patients. He's doing hardcore pills, IV, that he's not prescribed to and has zero pain. This kid is doing hardcore painkillers with no, no nothing. He don't have no disease. He ain't in pain. He's doing, what, Oxycontin, Roxy's, I don't care what it is. And then he puts him in a syringe and he shoots him up and he dies. And you think that there's something weird with that? It's not like he shot up and he got a fucking bachelor's degree, okay? That would surprise me. But when addicts shoot up drugs that they buy on the street, that's what we do. We die. People find us in dumpsters. They find us in bathrooms. That's it. That's, that's how we're supposed to live. He goes, it doesn't surprise me when people die, Brian. And I was like, bro, but he was so young. And he started to laugh. And he said, the disease of addiction doesn't give a fuck how old you are. You think the disease is like, oh, hang on, Brian's 17, so I'm going to take it easy on him. Fuck that, bro. It doesn't matter if you're 17 or 70, bro. That's what happens. He's like, bro, I am surprised that you are calling me, bro. The fact that you got nine months coming up on a year clean, that shit surprised me. When I met your ass, I was like, bro, this kid ain't going to make it. No way. And look at you still calling me, bro. You still call me every day, bro. You're doing it. You're doing it, Brian. It's not a game. This is what's going to happen. Get used to it, bro. We're going to go to a lot of funerals. It's okay. And I hung up the phone. I wasn't expecting to hear that. I thought he was going to say, it's all right. I thought he was going to say, it's okay. I'm so sorry. He didn't say any of that shit. And it's not what I wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. And I went to this kid's funeral clean, and I hugged his mom. And I, like, open casket funerals are fucked up. Like, I don't fucking think anyone should. Have, like, seeing an open casket is fucked up. I don't think anyone should ever go to an open casket. That person is not in there. That is not what they look like. I don't want to remember that shit. Like, I've gone to a lot of funerals, and I hate open casket funerals. I hate that image that's in my mind from all my friends that have died from open casket funerals. I want to think about them when they were living. I don't want to think about when they're in that fucking box with that powder all over them. And I stayed clean. And um, 
I made it to a year clean, and I felt really good to get a year clean. And like everybody who ever said like I wouldn't stay clean and like people that laughed and like it just didn't matter at that point. Like it wasn't for them, it was for me. And when I got a year clean, my dad was watching TV and he was watching the Heat game. My dad loves sports. I said, uh, dad, I got to talk to you. He said, what? I, like, I got to tell you something. And he just straight ignored me. I don't know if you ever had a dad that just, like, chose when to ignore you and chose when to acknowledge you. Like, when my dad wasn't feeling it, he just wasn't feeling it. That motherfucker ain't looking at you. He ain't talking to you. He's watching TV. He had a long day. You better fucking get from around here. And uh, I said, Dad, I want to tell you something. He said, what? He muted the TV, and he looked at me and said, what? I said, "Uh, I got a year clean today. And my dad said, you what? I said, I've been clean for a whole year. I'm going to go to a meeting to get a medallion. Do you want to come? And my dad said, um, you're going to go to a meeting and lie to all those people that you've been clean for a year? Oh, man, that's crazy. And he, like, put the TV back on. Me and my father had argued a lot my first year clean. I got kicked out of school twice clean. And when I would get kicked out of school, my dad would uh, basically say that you're using and there's no way that someone could get kicked out of school clean. And it would really bother me. When someone says that you're using when you're clean, it is the worst fucking thing to deal with. When you're just getting clean and you're trying every day to not blow your brains out or smoke crack, it fucking sucks when your family is like, you might as well be using. You probably are using. It fucking sucks for people not to believe you. It feels like, being wrongfully convicted, like you're doing uh, the time for a crime you didn't do. And I remember the second time I got kicked out of school, my dad just looked at me with disgust. And I got kicked out of school for slapping somebody. I got kicked out of school for putting hands on somebody. And he said, hmm, those meetings sure are working, huh? And I was like, bro, they are working. He's like, yeah, if they're working, why are you still getting kicked out of school? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, getting kicked out of school, you might as well be getting high. I was like, I'm not getting high. And he's like, yeah, yeah, right. And I fucking hated him. I was like, bro, don't you say that shit to me. He's like, you're probably using, you're probably high right now. My mom can tell by the look in my eyes if I'm high. My mom was like, I don't think he's using. And my dad was like, and you shut up. You don't fucking know anything. I said, I'm not using. And my dad said, yeah, right. And I said, why don't you drug test me? And my dad laughed, and he goes, <laughs> drug test you. We've, we know you know how to fake drug test, Brian. Last time, you put fucking orange juice in the cup. And I was like, that was last time. And I said, why don't you drug test me, bitch? And my dad says, oh, I'm the bitch. Motherfucker, I bought those shoes you're wearing. I bought those jeans you're wearing. I bought that shirt you're wearing. I bought that car you're driving. Matter of fact, give me your fucking keys. You're not going nowhere. Matter of fact, give me your phone. Matter of fact, look at this house. I fucking provide for this house. You couldn't fucking wipe your ass if it wasn't for me. I bought everything you got. Them shoes, that watch. I bought you that shit. That shit's mine. You are alive because I choose for you to be alive. Everything in your life you have because of me. I made sacrifices for you to live a normal life. And look at you. You fuck it all up. I don't fucking need to drug test you. I know when you're getting high. I pushed my dad. And it's the first time I put hands on my dad. And I pushed him. And I said, 
I called him a bitch or something. And my dad didn't fight back. He looked at me. He said, okay, we're done now. Don't ever ask me for anything. We're done. You turn 18, get the fuck out of the house. And me and my father didn't really talk much. And I called the mad Russian. And I was crying. And I was in the fetal position. And he was laughing. And he was laughing so hard. And I was like, my dad doesn't, he doesn't think I'm clean. My dad this, da-da-da. And he was just laughing. He was thought it was so funny. I was like, bro, what's so funny? He's just laughing. I was like, bro, I might as well use. He thinks I'm using. my. He got my whole family to think I'm using. Now my sister thinks I'm using. My mom thinks I'm using. He started laughing. Then he stopped. And he was like, what? You might as well use? We don't use no matter what, Brian. I don't give a fuck what anyone says or does. I don't give a fuck someone thinks you're a fucking Martian. We don't fucking get high no matter what. Let me ask you something. Let's say your whole family thought you were fucking gay. Would you go out and suck a dick? I was like, no. He's like, why not? Your whole family thinks you are. You might as well just do it. I was like, well, I wouldn't do it. He's like, why not? I was like, because I'm not gay. And he's like, all right, well, you're not getting high neither. And I started laughing. And I was like, bro, this guy's crazy. He went on to tell me, bro, I was on methadone for years, homeless for years. Father never said congratulations to me. My father never was there for me, bro. At least your dad cares. At least your dad's there. Bro, my dad said I was going to be a fucking trash dump picker-upper my whole life, bro. My dad never said shit to me, bro. I don't give a fuck about that dude, bro. And I used to say, but he does this and he does that. And he needs to change. And he says, I don't fucking sponsor your dad. I don't sponsor that motherfucker. I sponsor Brian. I want to hear about Brian. What the fuck did Brian do? I was like, I didn't do nothing. He's like, why are you guys arguing? I was like, well, I got kicked out of school. He's like, what? So I got kicked out of school. He said, you got kicked out of school again? I was like, yeah. I got He's like, what did you do? I was like, I slapped somebody. He's like, you slapped somebody? Oh, well, next time I see you try and slap me, we'll see how far that gets. I'm going to fucking slap the shit out of you. You slap somebody? I was like, I'm sorry, bro. He's like, bro, I don't want to hear you're sorry. And he's like, we're going to do some assignments on this. And I was like, all right. And I hung up the phone and I stayed clean. So fast forward to a year clean. I tell my dad, hey, dad, I'm clean for a year. And he laughs at me. But I had learned the serenity prayer. And the serenity prayer is one of the most powerful things we can learn. It is so powerful. I was just saying it because I just didn't know what other prayers to say. But after a while, like, when I was praying, I was just like, well, I might as well just say the serenity prayer. It's the only prayer I know. So I would say the serenity prayer over and over. I must have said the serenity prayer at least 2,000 times by the time I got clean, by the time I had a year clean. And when I had a year clean, um, my dad was upsetting me, said the serenity prayer. And when I left the house, I locked the door, and I realized what the serenity prayer meant in my life. And when I said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference, the things that I can change was leaving the house to go to a meeting and the things that I couldn't change was watching TV. And the wisdom to know the difference was finally working in my life because for the first time in my life, I knew that I was free, that there is nothing on the other side of the door that can make me get high, and there is nothing outside of me that can make me use ever, ever, that I know my truth and I know my path, and with that, I can stay clean for the rest of my life. And I went to a meeting. 
and my phone started blowing up. Oh, I can't wait to see you tonight, bro. Congrats, bro. You got a year. I can't believe you got a year. I can't believe you got a year. And I was so excited and people hugged me and people kissed me on the cheek and people were yelling and like cheering for me. And I got a year clean, man. And it felt so good, bro. Like it was the best feeling in the world. Like nobody could take that away from me. At a year clean, I met my best friend. And I went through a long time feeling like I had nobody and feeling like I had surface relationships and friendships. And a year clean, I met this guy, Carl. And I had met him in the rooms multiple times. Like I've seen him around. He was like six foot two, covered in tattoos, been to prison. And he was pretty quiet at the time. And he really wouldn't talk to nobody. And when I saw him at a meeting once, I was like, yo, what's up? He said, what's, he's like, what up, Jit? He used to call me Jit. And I remember thinking like, bro, don't call me no Jit. Like, I'm not no Jit just because I'm young. Like, like I felt really tried. Like, I don't call people Jit. And he's like, yo, what up, Jit? I just was like, whatever. He doesn't know that uh, that offends me. And he's like, what up, Jit? And I was like, not much. I just got a year clean. And when I told him I got a year, he like spit out his apple. And this dude used to work out. He was jacked. And he spit out his apple. He's like, you got a year clean? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, you got to speak for me. And I spoke for him at this commitment because people in recovery have commitments. And I spoke at this commitment and he was like, bro, that was so good. You got to speak for me here, da, da, da. And he's like, where do you stay? And I was like, bro, I live in Davie. He's like, get the fuck out of here, bro. I live in Weston. And I was like, how do you live in West? Because like no one lives in Davie or Weston, like and from meetings. Everyone lives like out east. He's like, bro, my mom lives in Weston. And I was like, for real? And he's like, yeah, bro, I live right there. We go to the gym together. He's like, what gym you go to? And I was like, I go to like little shitty gym by my house. And he's like, bro, when I get off work, let's start going together because I stay out there anyways. So I was like, all right, bet. So we start working out together. And this one day he's like, bro, I don't have protein. Like, do you have some at your house? And I was like, yeah, I have some at like my parents' house. He's like, oh, let's stop at your house. And I start looking at the clock and I'm like, oh, it's like 2.30. My dad comes home like at four. I think we got time. So we go to my house and uh, Carl's making a mess everywhere. Like he's just spilling protein. He's eating raw chicken. He's fucking just, he's just being a fucking total degenerate. You know, my house is pretty clean. My like, family keeps a clean house. He's just like, you know, being Carl, making a mess. And my dad comes home and he puts his uh, briefcase down and he looks at me and he looks at Carl and he points his finger at me. He says, come here. I said, what? He goes, who the fuck is in our kitchen? I was like, all right, bro, don't freak out. It's my boy, Carl. He's like, no, no boys named Carl come to the house. And I was like, bro, that's my friend. He's in recovery. His name is Carl. He's a good dude. He's like, no, 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 no. Brian, he looks like he belongs in a fucking chain gang. Look at this guy. He's fucking huge. And I was like, dad, shh, he just got out of prison. My dad's like, just get out of prison. What are you talking about? I was like, well, he's been out of prison for like a year. Just chill. My dad's like, no, 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 no. Why do you do this? And, my, and Carl overhears us arguing. He's like, hey, is that your dad? And my dad's like, uh, hey, nice to meet you. And my dad like puts his hand out and Carl goes to hug him. And my dad is all like, oh, like, don't hug me. Like, what are you doing? You know, weeks go by and Carl wants to meet my dad again. He's like, oh, is your dad home? I'm like, yeah, but let's just ride. And he's like, no, no, I want to say hi to him. So he keeps coming over and saying hi to my dad. You know, for whatever reason, he, like, keeps coming over, saying hi to my mom, talking to my mom, talking to my dad, and uh, tries to hug my dad all the time. My dad is, like, really, like, okay, you know, we don't need a hug. It's all right. And this one day, my dad is asleep on the couch, and Carl starts caressing his shoulder. 
And my dad thinks it's my mom, and he goes and puts his hand on Carl's hand, and he looks up at him and opens his eyes. He goes, what the fuck are you doing? And Carl's like, starts laughing. He's like, man, you look so cute sleeping. He was like, don't touch me like that. What are you, gay? And he was like, no, I'm not gay, but, you know, I have been to prison. He's like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like, you know, if you were in there with me, you'd be my bitch. He's like, what? He's like, you know, peeling my oranges. He's like, no, man, what are you saying? He's like, bro, you, you know, you'd be folding my laundry, holding my pocket. And my dad is like, man, you're nuts. And, um, you know, Carl would keep coming over and keep coming over. And, you know, he met my mom. My mom started to really like him. You know, my sister met him. My brother met him. One day for Thanksgiving, my dad is like, you know who we should invite over for Thanksgiving? And I was like, who? And he said, Carl. I said, you want to invite Carl over for Thanksgiving? My dad goes, yeah, man. He's just so nice, and he's always in a good mood, and he's always laughing. He's just like the nicest guy. And I was like, really? You think Carl's the nicest guy? He's like, yeah, man. He's just like wouldn't hurt a fly. And I said, wouldn't hurt a fly. You know, Carl used to break into people's houses, and my dad's like, no, stop it. And he's like, bro, he used to be in a gang. My dad's like, no, he was never in a gang. He's like, bro, he's been to prison. He's like five years in prison. My dad's like, that's not true. I was like, dad, Carl used to break into people's houses the night before Christmas and steal the presents. And my dad goes, stop talking shit about Carl. You know he would never do that. Come on, there's always a joke with you. You know, Carl came over for Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, it was really cool, you know. And one day, uh, Carl's at my house. You know, I'm about to go speak at a meeting. I have 18 months clean. I'm 18 years old. About to go speak at a meeting. And uh, I chose to go to community college. And I'm just living at home. My dad's watching the Heat game. He's talking to Carl. I'm like, bro, we got to go. My dad's like, whoa, 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 go. You guys aren't going to watch the game? Carl was like, no, 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 we can't watch the game. He's like, why won't you watch the game? He's like, your son's speaking at a meeting. Brian's speaking. He's like, you're going to miss the game. Let me get this. You're going to miss the championship Heat game. One of the final games to watch Brian speak at a meeting. And he was like, yeah, man. And my dad was like, let me get my shoes. I want to go. And I was like, no, no, dude, you can't invite him. And Carl's laughing so hard. He's like, this is going to be great. Bro, my dad went to one meeting ever. My dad went to this meeting and this lady got a medallion. She celebrated like 24 years and she talked about being homeless and prostituting herself and all this shit. And she said at 24 years, she finally was able to buy a house and God is so good because she like finally was able to be a homeowner. We drove home in dead silence. And when my dad parked his car, he had an old Lincoln Town car. So when he would slam it in park, he said, it took that bitch 24 years to buy a house. What a loser. And that's just how my dad was. Like he just... He didn't think meetings were cool. He thought all these people were losers. He thought everyone that went to meetings was just like a fucking bubble, whatever you say, like just a retard, just like fucking retarded people talking about retarded things. Like very similar to how he feels about like my mom going to church. He was like, let me get my shoes. I want to come. We go to this meeting and, um, you know, I'm the speaker and it's actually like an event. This meeting has actually been open for about a year and, um, me and some people have helped start this meeting and they had a fundraiser and they asked me to be the speaker. And when we walk in, my dad looks at me and he says, hey, nobody better hug me. I was like, okay, dad, no one's gonna hug you. And he looks at me and goes, I mean it. And I said, all right, dad. He's like, all right. So we go inside the meeting and right before we walk in, Carl makes a big announcement. He goes, hey, everyone, this is Brian's dad. 
And everyone starts hugging my dad and, oh, I can't believe it's you. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. I heard so much about you. Everyone's hugging him. He's like, okay. He's like trying to just like go inside and sit down. And this woman, her name is Amy Theismann. Um, she actually passed away a few years ago. And Amy Theismann had gotten clean around the same time as me. And her father was Joe Theismann. And Amy was just like the coolest. Like, bro, this lady would be hanging out in the hood at some meeting playing dominoes. She would let us all go over her house. Like, she was just so fucking cool. Like, she always showed us mad love. Like, man, I have like a lot of, a lot of love for this woman. And like, I uh, just have like good feelings from like however she was, like whenever she was around. I remember my dad was trying to sit down and she stopped him and she said, are you Brian's dad? Uh, my dad goes, yes, I am. And she hugged him, and he tried to let go. And she kept hugging him. And she said, we love your son. Did you know he helped start this meeting? God, he's helped so many people. And she just started hugging him and rocking him back and forth. And when we looked back, Carl looked at him, and he was like, yo, this bitch is crying. And he was laughing. He's like, bro, this motherfucker's crying. He was like, Brian, your dad's crying. And it was really cool to see. And I went up there and I shared my story. And my dad would stop the story and stand up and say, tell him about the time we tried, we caught you taking the TV. You know, and my dad would like interrupt me and be like, tell him about the time we caught you all fucked up and drunk and thrown up in front of the house. And like all these crazy stories. And I'm like, dad, you can't talk during the meeting. You got to sit down. At the end of the meeting, we went home. And I felt pretty good, you know, I was with Carl, we were laughing, I was with my dad, he said he had a blast. And uh, when we got home, my father knocked on my door and uh, he gave me an index card. And on that index card, it was a list of things I need to work on. And uh, he said, I curse too much when I speak. He said, I said, but and and a lot. He said, I need to take some public speaking classes. And then he said that it made no sense in the middle and then it got boring. Good job, though. When I got that index card and I read what he had wrote, all I could think was like, you know, it's never enough. Like no matter what I do, it's just never good enough for him. He just, he can never just say good job. Like no matter what the fuck I do, he just constantly has something to say. And, um, you know, I went to college. When I went to college, I did well in college. I got really good grades. One of my friends that was like one of the worst drug addicts with me was like, yo, bro, you should join Phi Theta Kappa. And I was like, what? He's like, bro, you got to join. I was like, why the fuck would I? Like, to me, anyone who does school activities are like herbs. Like, no one does school shit. Like, you, like, go to school, get your grade, and you go home. That's it. He's like, bro, you got to join Phi Theta Kappa. I was like, why would I fucking join a fucking, like, honor society? And he goes, bro, you get, like, two grand a semester for free. You already have the GPA. You just got to apply. And I was like, sign me up. Two grand. That's fire. And he was like, yeah, bro. And not just that. I know the lady that does the applications and she'll waive the application fees so it's free. And I was like, hell yeah. So I joined Phi Theta Kappa and I started hanging out with like all these nerds. And like, bro, these kids were like real nerds. Like none of these kids have ever been to a party in their life. They just like go to school. It was insane. And me and, you know, my boy were there, and uh, he was like, bro, you should run for vice president. I'm going to run for president. And I was like, why would I run for vice president? He's like, bro, you get $500 a semester. And I was like, $500 a semester? He's like, yeah, bro, and they pay you. 
I was like, what do you mean they pay? He's like, they pay you hourly. I was like, what? Sign me up. And he's like, you're going to win because you're unopposed. I didn't know what unopposed was. I was like, fuck yeah, unopposed? Hell yeah. That sounds good. So like when people were voting for president, all we did was like buy pizzas. And we told people that if you voted for us, you get a free pizza. But the reality was we we're just going to give you a free pizza anyways. Like we can't really like tell who wins or not. Like we weren't even supposed to say that. We were just handing out pizzas for voting. But we would throw in there like, oh, yeah, vote for us. Here's a pizza. So people, like, we won for sure. I became student body vice president of uh, the community college I went to. And I remember, like, I did a PowerPoint and, like, you know, I used to bring a little briefcase to school and, like, all this shit. I remember this kid came up to me one day and he was like, bro, are you the vice president of Broward College? I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, bro, I went in orientation and you're on the PowerPoint. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, bro, you went to school with my brother. Didn't you used to, like, smoke crack? And I was like, yeah, bro, I used to smoke crack, I know. And he was like, wow, that's crazy. And I remember just being like, yeah, thanks, man. You know, I guess that's a compliment. One day I got a plaque in the mail. And when you live with your parents, they always open your mail. And my dad was no different, and he opened all my mail. And he opened up this plaque. It said, uh, student body vice president, Brian Alzate. And my dad opened it, and he looked at it, and he said, hey, there's something here for you. And he said, vice president, huh? How come you're not the president? And I was like, I don't know, Dad. I wouldn't really tell my parents about, like, you know, stuff with school or, like, I didn't tell my dad about meetings either because, like, he would just have something negative to say, oh, you're going to waste your time at these meetings. All you do is go to these meetings. You got to get a job. When are you going to move out? You got to really get your life together. And um, when he said that, it's just, like, I went to my room and I crawled up in a ball and I cried. And I cried as if I was crying in second grade. Like, it felt like I was still, like, a little kid. And I cried and I cried and I just felt like so empty. And I called the mad Russian and I was crying and he was laughing. And I was like, bro, he doesn't love me. Like nothing's good enough. Like why can't he just say good job? Why can't he just say I'm proud of you? Like what the fuck? He can never just say I love you and I'm proud of you. He never can say it. Like what the fuck? Am I going to do, bro? It's just never good enough for him. I just feel like I'm just going in circles. And he started laughing. And he said, bro, your dad loves you so much. It's crazy how much he loves you. Your dad is obsessed with you. He's like, bro, when you're not around, he's talking about how amazing you are. Your dad loves you so much. He loves you and he's proud of you. He's like, bro, that's a dad's job. Your dad's job is to push you. That's what dads do. Dads push their sons. They want their sons to be great. Your dad loves you so much that when he says, how come you're not the president? He's saying, who the fuck's the president, bro? Bro, if Brian's the vice president, I, the fucking president better be fucking somebody fucking phenomenal, bro. It better be someone fucking really, really good. No one's better than Brian. How the fuck are you the vice president? Who are these jerk-offs? Who's voting for this shit? That's what your dad is thinking, bro. Your dad is thinking that you are so great. There's no way someone would have picked you to be the vice president. You need to be the president. And he said, your dad loves you and he's so proud of you. And I had a shift. I opened my eyes and I stopped crying. And I thought, you know, my dad does love me and my dad is proud of me. And my dad does say that. I just never heard it. 
I like don't hear my dad. I have selective hearing, which is very common with like addicts because we have obsessive compulsive tendencies and personalities. So when we obsess and compulse, we obsess and compulse about negative thoughts that happen in our life. So we don't necessarily have to have traumatic experiences for us to create trauma. We create trauma with everyday life just because we have an obsessive and compulsive mind. And when it latches on to something negative, it becomes like a self-harm type of thing. And I remember thinking back when I was a little kid and the last time I felt like this, The last time I felt like the way I felt that day was when I was probably like in second or third grade. My parents forced us to play t-ball. My brother was good, like at anything. My brother was really good at sports, at skating, biking, basketball. He was like, he could do anything, but like I just wasn't good at sports. And I remember being a kid and um, even when I would play basketball, like my dad used to say, you're not going inside until you make a free throw three free throws in a row. And I was like, bro, I just can't do it. And he's like, you're not going inside. Like the lights would be going out. Like it'd be dark out. He's like, you can't come inside. And mom like, please just let him come inside. And my dad was like, no, he's not going inside until he does it. And when I was playing t-ball, you know, I struck out multiple times. If you heard what I just said, like this is t-ball. And on the way home, you know, we had a Suburban and I was in the back of the Suburban. And my dad was saying, I cannot believe that Brian did that. I mean, for crying out loud, Brian, the ball is on a tee. How the fuck do you strike out in tee ball? I was embarrassed to be in the crowd. I could not believe that shit. You know how embarrassing it must have been for everyone in the crowd to be laughing like, ah, look at this kid, number eight, coming up to strike a tee ball. He can't even hit it. How the fuck is he going to strike out? He did it again. Oh, my God. He's like, bro, I was... I was so humiliated being in the crowd. Like, that's my son. Oh, my God. He said, thank God we got it on video because nobody would believe us. I mean, this has got to be a world record. We should submit the tape to, like, someone because this is crazy. I don't think anyone has ever striked out in T-ball. That's got to be some fucking crazy shit. How do you strike out in T-ball? It's crazy. And he was laughing, and everyone in the car was laughing, and my brother was there with his friends, and they were laughing, and I was in the backseat, and I wasn't laughing. I was crying. It was late at night. No one could really see, and um, I pretended like it didn't bother me. And when we got out the car, my dad looked at me. He goes, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And he said, you know, you know, I just fucking around, right? And I was just like, yeah. He's like, I love you, and I'm proud of you. I don't care if you don't know how to fucking hit the ball on the tee. And I didn't care what he said. I was mad. I was so fucking mad. I didn't hear any of that. I didn't hear, oh, it's okay. I love you. I didn't hear none of that. I was so mad. I was like, you ever be so mad you save it for later? I was saving that for later. I was like, yeah, bro, I'm good. But I was so mad. I never really tried at sports ever again, to be honest with you. Like, I really, like, I used to play fucking around, but, like, bro, I was done with sports. I was never playing that shit ever again. I was never going to take it serious. I had had it with that shit. But my dad did say, I love you and I'm proud of you. I just never heard it. When I got kicked out of school the first time, he screamed and yelled at me and he broke shit. And at the end of it, he said, you know what? It's okay. I still love you and I'm proud of you. When he would pick me up from the courthouse, he would have an attitude and he'd say, you know, you're wasting my time. I should be at work. I got to leave work because of this. He would still say, you know, I love you and I'm proud of you. He said that my whole life. I never heard it. Never heard it. My father always loved me, 
always said he was proud of me, even after everything. Even in my worst act of addiction, he still was singing and just wasn't hearing it. And I started to hear it. And I owe the 12 steps and sponsorship to that. I don't owe abstinence to that. That wasn't through abstinence. That was through hard work. That was through pen and paper. That was through years of prayer and meditation. That was through years of calling somebody. Years of perseverance. You know, when I had 18 months clean, two years clean, things started to change. And I remember this one day I was on my dad's laptop. Or he was on his laptop. He was on his computer. And, like, my dad loves his computer. You can't go near it. You can't touch it. He doesn't want you to print something off. He loves his computer, but he loves his music on there. And for years, he was obsessed with this iTunes mixtape. Like, bro, he had like 34,000 songs on iTunes. I'm not exaggerating. 34,000 songs. And he would be making these playlists. And he, he's got like a SoundCloud. He like does some mixes. He's a DJ. And uh, he loves music. Bro, I remember I was looking at him and he was all frustrated. I was like, bro, let me help you. And he was like, no, it's good. I'm like, bro, what are you doing over there? He's like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I was like, bro, let me just help you. And he goes, all right, I'm trying to make this playlist. Now I need a playlist of like American songs and I'm doing a jazz playlist. But, you know, I'm crossing them over and it's taking forever. And I said, well, look, you can organize it by genre here and then you could press control A and then you highlight them all and you drag them in. There you go. And he goes, God damn it, I've been going one by one all fucking week. And I started to laugh. And uh, he said, thank you, son. I said, don't worry about it. And when I texted him later, I said, you know, a closed mouth won't get fed. And my father texted me back, Brian, that is very true. But if your mouth is always open, watch out for flying dicks. And I started to laugh so hard. And I realized that was the first time me and my father have ever laughed in a long time. I can't remember the last time we laughed. When we would have dinner together, that shit was awkward and weird. That shit ended up in us fighting. We were fighting and yelling for a long time. When he said that, I was laughing so hard, and I thought, like, wow. And I thought, I have my dad back. I didn't even know what I had lost. If you would have asked me what I wanted when I first got clean, I would have said, I want rims on my car, and I want to be in shape. Like, that was, like, as far as the dreaming went. I never thought I wanted my dad back. I didn't even want him back. I hated that motherfucker. I really did. I did not like that man. I did not even think of him as my dad. I hated him. And at two years clean, I got him back. And when he would go out of town, I would miss him. I would say, man, I miss dad. And I'd be like, man, that's so weird. When he was gone, I used to be like, thank God he's gone. Now I miss him. And when I had two years clean, um... I was in college, and I was working at a treatment center, and this guy asked me to buy motorcycles for him. And I met this kid on a cruise, and um, he was 21. I was probably 20. And he had, like, a Range Rover and a Corvette, and he was making bread. And I didn't know anyone to make bread. Like, like bro, I thought, like, the Toyota Camry on rims was, like, making bread. I thought people made bread, like, 60 grand a year was, like, you know, you're making bread. And this kid was really making good money, bro. He had like a Range Rover, he had a Corvette, he had his own house. He was making money, man. Super smart, had a legit business. And he did something with motorcycles. I didn't even know how to turn a motorcycle on. And he called me one day and he was like, bro, can you find me a 2001 Jixxer 1000? I just found one. Can you go pick it up? I was like, wait, what? He's like, bro, never mind. I found one. I found a 2001 Jixxer 1000. It's got a blown motor. The guy has a clean title. He's going to bring it over to your house. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, chill. What do you mean? He's like, the guy owns a tow yard. He has the bike. The motor is blown. It does not start, doesn't drive. 
All you got to do is look at the title and pay the man. And I was like, how much does he want for it? He's like 1600 And I'm like, bro, who the fuck would pay 1600 bucks for a, like a motorcycle? And he was like, bro, can you buy it or not? I was like, I don't have $1,600. He's like, you don't have $1,600? And I'm like, no, dude. The only time there's a comma in my bank account is when I get my FAFSA. And that's about it, bro. And it's gone pretty quick after that. And he was like, who has 1600 bucks? I'm like, I don't know, bro. He's like, you don't know anyone that would loan you 1600 bucks? I was like, bro, no one would trust me with 1600 bucks. Like, are you serious? I'm not going to call someone like, hey, buddy, can I borrow 1600 bucks out of the blue? Like, and I was like, what you could do is Western Union it to me. He's like, what's your Western Union? I'm like, bro, just Western money gram, whatever. So he money gram me the money and uh, I bought the motorcycle and he gave me 200 bucks extra and he's like, keep the money. And I was like, I don't want the money. He's like, bro, keep the money. I was like, I don't want the money. I was like, bro, hang on to the money. I'll just give it to you next time. And then he found another bike and he found another bike. And I was like, bro, like, you know, I can't keep, you know, doing this. And he's like, bro, let me pay you. And I was like, I already have a job. He's like, how much do you make at your job? And I was like, bro, I make 12 bucks an hour. He's like, you make 12 bucks an hour? I was like, yeah. I thought that was a lot. I was like, I was like flexing. I was like, yeah, bro, not to brag, but I do make 12 bucks an hour. And he was like, bro, I'll pay you $100 a bike. How much do you make a week? And I was like, well, I only work part-time, so I only make like 300 bucks a week. And he was like, boom, let's do it. And I was like, do what? He's like, get a truck, sell your car, and let's buy bikes. And I was like, well, I don't know if there's going to be steady income. And I was like, how many bikes do you think I could buy a week? He's like, I think you could buy 10 bikes a week. So in my head, I was instantly like $1,000 a week. 1000 I could make 1000 Like, I didn't believe it. But like, this kid was, like, I'm pretty good at judging people. And like, this kid wasn't a liar, I'll tell you that much. My brother had just wrecked his car. And I had a, I had just bought my dream car. I bought a 2009 Nissan Maxima. I had Voss and wheels on it. I was in love with this car. My brother had just wrecked his car, and my dad had bought this 1999 Ford Lightning. And I was like, hey, Dad, if I give Kevin my car, can I have the Ford Lightning? He's like, you want the Lightning? And I was like, well, I don't really want it. I kind of think that truck sucks, but, like, whatever. I, like, hate trucks. Like, not a truck person. Never would own a truck in my life, but I need it for work. He's like, what do you mean you need it for work? I was like, well, I'm going to buy motorcycles with this guy. My dad's like, what? And I was like, yeah, we're going to buy motorcycles. Can I keep them in the garage? And he was like, I thought he was going to say no. I thought it was going to be like, no, you can't use my truck and you're not putting shit in my garage. And he was like, sure. I was like, really? And I started buying motorcycles and I quit my job. I went to school. I was still in school. I was still in college. And I had a couple classes left. In class, I was just on Craigslist looking for bikes. And I would find a good deal, and I would just leave class. And then shortly after, I was like, bro, I'm just going to quit school. My dad would look in the garage, and there'd be 12 bikes in the garage. He was like, bro, what are you and your friend doing? I'm like, do we have a motorcycle business? And he's like, I see that. And I was like, yeah. He's like, how much do those bikes cost? I was like, I don't know, like five, six grand. He's like, so you're telling me you got like 60 grand worth of bikes in the garage? I was like, yeah. He's like, how many bikes are you buying? I was like. I don't know, we buy like 10 a week. He's like, you're buying 60 grand worth of bikes a week. I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, don't go to jail. I was like, why would I go to jail? He's like, I don't know, I'm just saying, you know, just who is this guy? I'm like, he's a friend. He's like, what friend? I have never seen this friend. I'm like, he lives in Tampa. He's like, why does he live in Tampa? I'm just like, all right, don't worry about it. And uh, I moved out of the house and I bought another truck. 
and uh, opened up an LLC and I opened up a bank account and uh, had like a little side business going. And when Damon didn't want bikes, I would buy bikes for other people. And I learned everything about bikes. I lived, eat, breathed, and slept crotch rockets nonstop, 24-7. I would be driving and see the tail light of a bike and I could tell you what year it was, what make and model. I knew all the VIN numbers. I could tell you if it was restamped. I could tell you everything about the title. I can tell everything about the fairings, all the aftermarket shit, the clip-ons, the levers. I know that the T is the 1000s. I think the R is like the 750. The N is the 600. Those are like different things that go on the, the engine number. And like, you know, immediately just submerged myself into like buying bikes. And I still went to meetings, bought another truck. I bought another trailer. And I got a bigger truck and a bigger trailer. And two years into this, I'm making good money. And uh, I go to my dad's house for brunch. And I go to my parents' house almost once a week for brunch. And I walk in, and uh, I got a big lifted truck. I got $1,000 shoes on. I got a little gold chain. I walk into the house. My dad's just grilling me, staring at me. And I sit down and eat. And he's not eating. He's just staring at me. And I'm eating my food. And my mom, like, looks at my dad. He's like, hey, you okay? And he's just looking at me. And my dad slams the table. Hey! I said, what? He goes, Brian, let me ask you something. I said, what? He goes, how much fucking money are you making? I was like, I don't know. And he goes, how much fucking money are you making? I was like, bro, I don't know. He goes, a man should know how much fucking money they're making. I said, I don't know, dad. I make like six figures. He said, six figures? He put a fork in his steak. He started to eat it. He looked at me, said, you should be making seven. <laughs> and when he said that, I was like, man, this guy loves me. I finally got it. When he does that, that's his way of saying, I love you and I am so proud of you. When we finished eating, he's like, now let me go look at this truck. And he looked down, he's like, bro, that's the King Ranch. That's the fuck, that's a big ass truck. You like, you know, he said, I'm proud of you. That's awesome. Can I meet Damon? I want to invest in this, you know? It was really cool, man. And, you know, when I started to stay clean, I started to work my steps, and I started to make my amends, and I made formal amends to my family. I made formal amends to my parents. Every year for Father's Day, for a long time, I would get my dad so much stuff. Bro, I would buy him watches, shoes, clothes, Louis Vuitton, whatever he needed, fucking all sorts of shit. He'd always say, why are you getting me this stuff? I said, I don't know, Dad. It's, you know, I just like to get it for you. And he's like, you don't got to get me all this. I was like, Dad, I want to. He's like, okay. And one day my dad was at the house, and I said, damn, that's a nice watch. Who got you that watch? He said, you did. I said, damn, there's some nice shoes. Who got you them shoes? He said, you did. I was like, damn, some nice pants. Who got you those pants? He said, what? You did. You got me all this. I was like... Damn, I bought that whole outfit on you, huh? And he started laughing. He's like, yeah, yeah, you spoiled me. And it felt really good, you know? It felt really good to be able to, like, be the one providing. You know, I'm proud to say that. I've been helping my family out for a long time now. And I still, like, I can help my family out for the rest of my life. I ain't never going to make up for it, you know? I'm still clean. I have 13 years clean. Uh, I still go to meetings, still have a sponsor, still work steps, still pray on a daily basis, still do H and I. I'm about to restart my H and I on Monday. One of my friends that I mentioned before, Tony Calindras, he died. Died of an overdose. I've been to tons of funerals. 
You know, like, this shit's not a game, bro. Like the Mad Russian used to say, bro, it's just not a game. You know, it's not a Mickey Mouse bullshit. This isn't something that you can, like, dibble-dally in. You want to come around, fucking go to meetings and not work steps? You know, it's like spitting in the face of God, bro. Like, your higher power gives you this amazing opportunity and you just don't take advantage of it. And I feel that way about life. Like, I feel that way about being alive, bro. Like, Like, it's so random that I happen to be alive right now. You know, everything I have in my life, I owe to the 12 steps to to staying clean. But like just being alive is a true miracle. You know, everything that happens in life, you can look at it positive. You could look at negative. My teacher I'm still in touch with, Miss Dean. Every year for years on Valentine's Day, I would go visit her and bring her cookies and chocolate and take a picture with her, you know, like... Like, this woman was there for me when nobody was there for me, bro. Like, this lady didn't even know me. She, like, made an extra effort to go out of her way. Like, her son died of an overdose. You know, like, I went over to her house after he died. And, like, bro, this shit's fucked up, man. It's going to people's funerals and shit and, like, seeing people die of overdoses. And not everyone uses the same way. Like, not everyone is, like, a raging junkie like me. Like, some people use here and there, and they think that it's not as bad. And, like, if you're listening right now, if you have the ability to go to treatment, like, go to treatment, bro. I don't care where you go. I don't care if you go to Bark. I don't care if you go to a county-run facility. Go somewhere. And if you can't go nowhere, if you don't got money, you don't got insurance, go to a meeting. Like, do something. And I say that not to, like, sound arrogant or whatever, but it's like, bro, people are dying every day. And you could say, oh, I don't care if I die. Bro, your family does. That shit's mad embarrassing being at a fucking funeral and having to talk to people's family and their fucking family would do anything for you. And you over here talking about, oh, I don't give a fuck, bro. I don't give a fuck about nothing. Like, bro, that's bullshit. Because I used to say the same thing. I used to think I was tough. Oh, I want to die. That's not true, bro. If you did 1% of what I did to my family, I'd kill you. I destroyed my family. Put them through the ringer. You know? The real enemy is out there. The real enemy is the disease. You know, you got to find that separation. You got to find who you are and find out that the disease is trying to take what you got. All right? That's not you trying to ruin your family. That's the disease. Once you have that separation, now you have a winning chance. Shout out to this guy, Steve B. This guy, Steve Burdick, saved my life. This guy used to talk to me for hours in the parking lot. Hours. I used to be crying on the parking lot floor on the curb. He'd say, hey, what's up, kid? What's up, kid? You okay? I'd be like, no, bro, I'm not okay. I feel like using. He'd say, ha well, you're in the right place. And this guy, Steve, man, this guy, this other guy, Steve with the GTI, used to take me to uh, the beach, introduce me to people. My first sponsor, Anthony, bro, even though, like, I haven't seen him in years, but, like, this guy was still there for me. People were there for me at first, got clean. Charity Acosta, this lady gave me my first basic text. So, like, the reason why I do all this shit isn't because, like, I think my story is so important. Like, I'm nobody, bro. I was some fucking loser, crackhead, 14-year-old kid. 14 years old, smoking crack. Now, what, I have a podcast? Yeah, that's cool, bro. But, like, bro, the podcast can come and go. Like, I'm just an addict, man. I'm just, like, some kid that got clean. And I got everything I ever wanted today. Everything I ever wanted. And then some. Bro, my life is insane. I wake up like it's a fucking... Like, I live on entourage. It's fucking crazy, bro. I can't even believe that this is real life right now. Cannot believe that this is, like, actually going on. I just want to say that if you're an addict and you're still using, get help. 
Find a way, make it happen. You know how to make it happen, bro. Don't say you don't have any resources. You're a drug addict, you're resourceful, all right? You can make it happen. When this becomes your life, you can fucking make it happen. When you need something, you can make it happen. You gotta make recovery that thing you need. People always ask me how I got clean. I found what I was always looking for. Inside every bag, inside of every hit, inside of every drug I ever did, I was looking for peace. I was looking for love. I was looking for serenity. I found it in the rooms. I found it in some other fucked up individual saying, hey, let's get some coffee. Hey, let's all go out to eat. I cannot tell you how important it is to go out to eat with everybody. If you just go into meetings and leaving, you are missing out. When you go out to eat with everybody, it is a whole nother ball game. When you get an H&I commitment, it's a whole nother ball game. If you really want the most out of this life and you're an addict, you got to dive in. Dive in like a motherfucker, like your life depends on it. If you're not an addict and you love an addict, go to fucking Naranon. Go to Al-Anon, educate yourself, stop enabling, do what you can, but stop letting the addict manipulate you and put you down. If you're just a regular person, shit, be grateful. That's it, be grateful. That's all addicts do, we're just trying to be grateful. They say a grateful addict will never use, thanks for letting me share. Hey, thanks for tuning in to How Has an Exit. This was the end of my story, part four. Uh, I told you guys I would answer questions that you guys submitted. A lot of people were asking me what happened to Doc. Doc is the guy that introduced me to crack. Um, I really don't know what happened to him. If you listen to the episode with a woman named Eve, me and Eve both got introduced to this guy around the same time. We smoked crack together. I was probably 14 or 15. She was probably in her 30s. A lot of people are leaving like hateful comments like, oh, fuck that guy. He's a scumbag. But Doc never knew how old I was. I wasn't exactly walking around telling people that I was 14. You know, I always lied about my age and I just didn't carry myself like someone that was, you know, underage or something. So I don't have any ill intentions toward him. I don't blame him for anything. He disappeared. I have no idea where he is. If uh, he ever listens to this show, I think his real name, his first name is Kyle. So if he ever listens to the show, you know, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Hope you're doing okay. People also ask me what happened to Merch. Um, I'm still close with Merch. I see him probably once or twice a year. Uh, we keep in touch on social media. He kept using it and I stayed clean. And it was hard for me to break away from that, you know, because I knew that if I called him, he would come pick me up and I could go cop. And uh, I had to make new friends. And as much as I have, like, you know, a bond with him because he was there at my worst points. It was like really hard, you know, seeing him just continue to use, continue to use, continue to rob people. And uh, there was a time when I got clean and he was still bucking people that I would get blamed for it, you know? So there was times where I had like three or four months clean and people were like, yo, I heard so-and-so wants to whoop your ass because you and Jeremy robbed him a thousand bucks. And I'd be like, bro, that wasn't me. Like I wasn't there, you know, like I'm clean now. You know, that's just part of it, you know? He eventually got roped again and again, and he ended up doing, I think, like seven or eight years in prison. You know, it was tough, like, seeing someone that you grew up with and that you know personally, like, do that much time. And um, the same time was probably the best thing for him. I know a lot of people that have been to prison that say that, you know, there's a safe place for them. And since he's been out, he's been doing good. You know, I see him, uh, like I said, a couple times a year. And I was thinking about having him on the show. He's definitely, uh, it'd definitely be interesting. Someone asked me about California Sober, how I feel about California Sober. 
One, like, I don't care how anyone identifies themselves. And if someone was to tell me they're California sober, like, in passing, I wouldn't be like, no, that's not really sober. Like, I would never, like, correct somebody or try to correct them in a way that I think is correct, you know? California sober pertains to smoking weed or doing, like, some type of mild drug, but still considering yourself sober. I don't even really use the word sober because I go to a different fellowship. We say words like clean. So if somebody was trying to say that they were clean or sober, but they still smoked weed, I wouldn't like judge them or talk shit about them or whatever. But to me, it's like slapping like an AMG badge on like a regular Mercedes. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, you know, to me, clean and recovery and those types of terms mean something like they mean that you don't do any drugs. It means that you're completely abstinence. It means that you don't smoke weed. It's controversial because some people really consider weed medicine and really consider that, you know, marijuana, smoking weed at night to help them sleep is better than taking Seroquel or something. So I'm not here to like judge or police the way people consider their clean time. In reality, what you consider clean is up to you and your higher power. But for me, like, I just don't believe that. Like, I just don't believe in people smoking weed and still going to meetings or not that you can't go to meetings, but I just wouldn't consider that really being clean. And if someone asked me my opinion, hey, man, I'm on Suboxone, like, I'm still clean, right? I would tell them, like, to me personally, I don't think that's clean. You know, I don't think that you're actually clean, but I still encourage you to come to meetings. I still encourage you to keep trying. Um, It's not that I'm better than or less than, but I would hope that you get to a point where you could be completely off drugs because I've been on maintenance drugs and I can tell you that being on maintenance drugs is not the same as being clean. It's a totally different feeling from when you're even taking a crumb of Suboxone to when you're absolutely 100% complete abstinent from mind or mood altering substances. Uh, Someone asked me what happened to the mad Russian. Uh, The mad Russian is still in my life today. We talk almost every day now. The mad Russian sponsored me until I had like 18 months clean. And, like, this dude saved my life. Till today, I still consider the Mad Russian to be, like, the ultimate, like, force in my life when I got clean to help me. Even today, 13 years later, you know, people ask me, like, you know, how do you feel about him now? Or, like, what's your relationship like now? I still look at him as if, like, if it wasn't for this guy, I would be dead. You know, I just can't even put into words how much he impacted my life at a time where I was at such a pivotal point where... Every single day I was wondering if I should just use. Every single day I was wondering if I should just call my old friends and go and get high, questioning whether I should really be in recovery. This is really going to work out. And even though I always did the things that I needed to do to stay clean, it didn't mean that it was easy. And this guy just motivated me beyond anything else, anyone else, inspired me to want to stay clean. And he was tough, you know, screaming at me, yelling at me. And then there was a lot of things that he did. It was like super compassionate. You know, I remember him picking me up and just taking me to eat and um, introducing me to people, taking me to meetings and introducing me to H&I, really showing me what it takes to be a man in recovery. He stayed clean for like six or seven years, and then he went out drinking. Um, He actually left the program, so he stopped going to meetings for a while. In that time, he actually became a multimillionaire. And this guy was somebody that I've seen have come in with nothing. And like I always say, like addicts are some of the most resourceful people. And this guy went on. And I remember hearing stories like, yo, I heard the Mad Russian has a Bentley. Oh, I heard he has a Ferrari now. And I was like super happy for him, even though he wasn't going to meetings, you know. 
we always kept in touch whenever I would have like a nine-year anniversary or a 10-year anniversary or, or whatever type of anniversary, I would invite him and he would always come. And uh, we stayed in touch. And uh, shortly after, he decided to jump back into recovery. And even when he was like super successful in drinking, he would still tell me like, you know, even though like I drink now, there's no better life than being 100% clean and being in recovery is just the best. I wasn't judging him either. And, you know, he had to figure it out for himself. And eventually he chose to come back to the rooms and uh, he's back and he's clean today. And um, he's actually my business partner in the treatment center. So uh, it's really cool for us to like rekindle that relationship. All right. So thanks, guys. That was Hell Has an Entrance, part four. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show out. Thanks for tuning in. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.